Matthew 21, verses 1 through 17. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out to the city, to Bethany, and lodged there. This is the word of God. In our passage today, we find Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem with his disciples and a massive entourage of pilgrims who have come to worship God at the Feast of the Passover. This story would have meant a lot to the original readers of this text because it shows that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed King, who was coming in peace to bring peace to God's people. Matthew includes a lot of Old Testament references to make sure his readers knew Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. And this would have been hard to believe for some of Matthew's readers, because by the end of the week, Jesus is going to be nailed to a Roman cross and hung to die as an insurrectionist rebel leader. But Matthew goes to great lengths to make sure his audience understands that Jesus really is the true king of peace who was promised to come. Now, we're not going to explore all of those Old Testament references. We'll mention a few. But I want to start by looking briefly at the repeated chant in our text. Hosanna to the son of David. Everyone say Hosanna. To the son of David. We find it in verse 9 in the mouth of the pilgrims from Galilee. 
Then we have it repeated in the song of the children in the temple in verse 15. Hosanna comes from the Hebrew and it means save us now. Save us now. It's related to what John Mark just talked about. I don't know about you, but for the last few months I've been praying a lot. Lord, save us now. Your kingdom come. Save us now. Rescue us. It was used by pilgrims who were approaching Jerusalem for one of the national feast days as they sung Psalm Psalm 118. Now, to kind of get the picture of what this looked like, if you've ever been to an OU football game, you might get an idea of what this was like. I'm not trying to put on blast people who are not going to OU football games. That is totally all right to wear all the orange you want. But I feel like this might be an illustration that can resonate with many of us. Have you ever been to an OU football game, and either you're walking south through Campus Corner in Norman, or you're walking north on Jenkins, and you happen to holler out, Boomer, you're going to get a response. People are going to respond with, Sooner. Now, I know not all of us are Sooners in here. but We've all heard the chant. In fact, everyone knows it. In Norman, in Stillwater, in Austin, in Florida, people know the chant. They all know it. Everyone knew it. And as these pilgrims would hike uphill to enter the mountainous city of Jerusalem, they would sing these psalms of ascent. And the last song of ascent was Psalm 118, where it culminates with these words. Hosanna! Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And this would resonate throughout the city. Hosanna, O Lord. Hosanna, O Lord. Lord, save us. Lord, come to our rescue. By the time Matthew writes this word, Hosanna would have been more like a praise to God, like hallelujah. That's Hosanna. Save us, Lord. As for the son of David, there's a lot we could say. I'll just say this. If you've read your Old Testament, you know this. If you don't, you can go back and read it. That David was the favored king of Israel. God had made a promise to David that one of his sons, one of his descendants, would sit on his throne. And his kingdom would be blessed by God. Such that it would be an everlasting kingdom that would never end. It would be a place of peace where God's people wouldn't have to suffer oppression or injustice or despair. God would provide for his people through a son of David who would give them true rest from their enemies. From the very beginning of Matthew's book, the very first verse, Matthew's been trying to convince us that Jesus is the son of David. Jesus, the one from Nazareth and Galilee, is the anointed son of David who would bring everlasting peace to God's people. So when the pilgrims and the children in this passage shout, Hosanna to the son of David, what Matthew is telling us is that 
Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. This would have been really good news for Matthew's audience, but church, this is also really good news for us. What I believe the Holy Spirit wants to convince us of this morning is that Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. I want to take a second and just articulate some of the things I know we've been waiting for. Some, a lot of us have been finding ourselves waiting. Some of us have been waiting for a vaccine. Waiting for an end to COVID. Some of us have been waiting for help in school or to return to school. Because this COVID stuff ain't working. Some of us have been waiting for a check to arrive. And you go to find some website to figure out how do you get what you're supposed to be getting. Some of us have been waiting for a healthy prognosis that just doesn't seem to come in time. Some of us have been waiting for somebody to just ask us out just once. Some of us have been waiting for somebody to say yes. Some of us have been waiting for reliable transportation. Some of us have been waiting for our spouse to make changes. Some of us have been waiting for the right job. Some of us have been waiting for retirement. Some of us have been waiting for an opportunity. Others waiting for recognition. Others waiting for affirmation. Others waiting for confession. Others waiting for forgiveness. What I believe the Holy Spirit wants to say is that the appropriate response in all of our waiting is Hosanna to the Son of David. That if we're looking for our hope in any of the other places, we want to keep praying for those things. We want to keep waiting for those things. We want to keep hoping for those things. But even if we get those things, it's not going to satisfy our hearts. What we need is Hosanna to the Son of David. He's our true hope. He's the one we've been waiting for. To talk about is some reasons how we know that Jesus, Jesus, the one from Nazareth, Here's a few points. The first thing to notice is that in this text is that Jesus knows what we don't know. If we're waiting, it proves we don't know some things. But Jesus is God, friends. Jesus is the second person in the Trinity. He is God the Son who has always existed with the Father in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was born as a human being. At the beginning of Matthew's book, he already told us, he said, this ain't just no human being here. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us who's being born to the Virgin Mary. God came to live with his people to save his people. Now, I love this text because it shows us both Jesus' humanity and his divinity. He's a man and God. he's the God man, which means he knows what we don't know, which means we can hope in him. Everyone say, Jesus knows what we don't know. Let's look at our text. See, Jesus is like us, but he's not just like us. Look at verse 17. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Sounds pretty normal. We end the, end the, end the whole passage with this verse. Jesus had a pretty full day. He's going to leave. He's going to go out to Bethany and lodge. Find a place to sleep. God had to sleep. 
God had to sleep. God had to find a place to rest. The city is full of pilgrims. Scholars say that Jerusalem would usually hold about 30,000 people. But during Passover, during this feast, it would hold 180,000 people. Six times as many people would be in, this, in, in Jerusalem trying to find a place to sleep. Jesus can't even find a place to sleep. He's got to go back outside the city, out to Bethany, probably to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, because he loves them, to find a place to sleep. Jesus, the Son of God, through whom all things were made, had to go find a place to sleep. He is like us. That's how we end. But the beginning of our passage shows us he's not just like us. Look with me in the beginning of our passage. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, Jesus said, sit, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. Skip down with me to verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Now, did you catch what just happened? Jesus just predicted. Exactly. He's about two miles outside of the city. He says, here's what you're going to do. I'm sending two of you because it's an important mission. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go into the next town. As soon as you get to the town, look around. You're going to see a donkey and a colt tied up. What you're going to do is untie that colt. Bring that colt to me. If anybody asks what's happening, I want you to say, the Lord needs them. And they're not going to just let you walk away. They're going to send you these donkeys. They're going to send them to you. Because they're going to send them to me. These folks will willingly let you walk away with their transportation. This ain't some kind of Jedi power that Jesus is demonstrating. This is the God of the universe who spoke creation into being, who by the word of his power formed man from the dust, saying, just do what I say and what seems impossible will be possible. What seems to be illogical will be seen to be true. What seems to be a waste of time will demonstrate the power of God. Listen, saints, this point is important. Jesus is the trustworthy God. He's the one who calls you brother. And if he is calling you to do something that seems impossible... If he's calling you to do something that seems illogical, if he's calling you to do something that seems like a waste of time, let me tell you, he is like us, but he is not just like us. He knows what we don't know. He knows the intricate details of our past, our present, our future, and he can make something come out of nothing. He can make possibilities out of the impossible. He can make sense out of confusion. We obey his word. If he's calling you to have one more conversation with that family member, do it. He knows what he's telling you. If he's calling you to love that enemy, do it. He knows what he's telling you. If he's calling you to submit to that unjust boss, do it. He knows what he's telling you. If he's calling you to wait for one more season or three or 20, do it with a happy heart. 
Because he knows what he's telling you. Jesus is the one who brings order to the universe. He's the one in whom everything will be seen to make sense. Which means you can trust him. Just be faithful to do what he says. Jesus knows what we don't know. That's why he's the one we're waiting for. The second reason why we know Jesus is the one we wait for is that Jesus is the king of peace. Everyone say, Jesus is the king of peace. Listen, the prophet Zechariah expressed what the king of peace that we talked about earlier, what this anointed king would look like in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. I'm going to read it for you. If you have time this week, I encourage you to go back and look it up with relation to this passage. He says, Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And he goes on in verse 10 to say, that this, this king is coming to you will make all war cease. And he will, quote, speak peace to the nations. His kingdom will stretch to the ends of the earth. Now look at your text in verse 5, right in your bulletin. You can see that Matthew is totally riffing off Zechariah chapter 9. He says, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And what we see in this text, what Matthew is emphasizing is this. The prophets said that when the king of peace, who's going to set everything right, when he comes, he's going to do some unique things. So when you see someone doing those unique things, know this, that's him. And what Matthew is showing us is Jesus is him. Jesus is the king of peace. Jesus is the right, humble king who will bring peace to the world. And what's encouraging in this text is that the people notice. Look with me, look at how they respond in verse 8. Put it in your bulletin. It says, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees, spread them on the road, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What they recognize is, this is the king. This is the fulfillment of Psalm chapter 118. Now know that these are the, the crowd he's talking about are all these pilgrims who've been coming from Galilee, walking toward Jerusalem. They've been watching him heal the sick and raise the dead and make the blind see and make the deaf hear. He's been doing all that stuff. And now he's coming into Bethphage, into Bethany. And he says, I'm going to ride on a donkey. And they say, a donkey? A donkey's colt? This must, this, this must, this must be him. They recognize it and they lay out the red carpet with their cloaks and branches and spread them on the road because they believe that Jesus is the king they've been waiting for. And they cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. Save us, son of David. You're the anointed king who was promised to come. We bless you. We celebrate you. We support you. We can't believe you're here. There's so much celebration. The people of Jerusalem, when they see all this, all these pilgrims coming and shouting, they say, who is this? And the crowd responds, this is the prophet, Jesus, from Nazareth of Galilee. 
I want to point out, when the crowds call Jesus the prophet, they're not denying that he's the Messiah. What they're saying is that Jesus is the new Moses. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses has written, there's going to be, God has said to Moses, there's going to be another prophet just like you. He's going to come and rescue my people. And they're saying, the crowd's saying, this is him. Now, we already saw Jesus demonstrate supernatural authority with a donkey and a colt, but now Jesus is recognized as the supreme authority. Now, I want to pause and think about this for a second, church, because sometimes when we think about what we're waiting for, we can begin to idolize power. We start to think that if I were just able, if I just had Ability to fix what is broken, the world would be a better place. If I were able to fix my mom and my dad, they would stop telling me to do the stuff I don't want to do. If I were able to fix this guy who I'm interested in, he would ask me out. If I were able to fix my spouse, my life would be full of peace. If I were able to fix the education system, my students wouldn't be suffering. If I were able to fix my boss, my job would be more fulfilling. We might think more collectively, if my tribe were just to gain power, we could fix the community. What we need to hear today is that Jesus is the king of peace who came to set the world right. Let me point out right here, friends, that that by the time the week that we're talking about, that Jesus is entering the beginning of this holy week, by the time this week ends, everything will not be set right. Jesus is, no. Sometimes, if you like me, you might struggle with how much needs to be fixed in the world and in your own heart. A few minutes ago, we prayed for the situation of so many Asian and Asian American people in our country. And their struggle has been happening over decades, the stereotypes, the bias, the blame for disease, the weaponization of their ethnicity against other minorities. It's only increased during COVID. And you know, don't know, I'm always thinking about the education system, underpaid teachers, toxic workrooms, chaotic classrooms, inequitable curriculum, desegregated segregation. Voluntary for some, involuntary for others. And it's wrong. In my own heart, there's a battle with sin that I continually have to open to wise and trusted friends and to the Holy Spirit to fix me. There's still so much that's wrong. But what some friends reminded me of this week is that Jesus died on the cross, rose again, ascended to the right hand of the Father before he set everything right. And what's crazy is that in John 17, 4, he said he had accomplished the work that God had given him to do. How could Jesus leave the world in such a mess and say he finished what God told him to do? Listen, our hope is in Jesus, the King of Peace. When we die, everything will not be made right. What we know is that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to make everything right. Everyone who has recognized Jesus as the King of Peace will inherit the new creation where everything old will be fully new, where God will wipe away every tear from every eye. If you're here today and you're looking to something other than Jesus for true peace, you're not going to find it. It will only be found in Jesus.
turn to him, surrender to him. He will forgive you and he will give you his peace. So that regardless of what you're facing in your life, you'll have assurance that Jesus is with you and he's going to come back. He's going to make everything right. Jesus is the king of peace. And then what he'll do is as he works on satisfying your soul, He's going to send you back into that community that's broken, into that system that's broken, into that relationship that's broken. And as we die to ourselves, he's going to bring resurrection life. He's going to empower us to be peacemakers because Jesus is the king of peace. That's why we hope in him, friends. The third reason we hope in Jesus, the King of Peace. Why we say Hosanna to the Son of David. This is the last point. But it's, it's deep. Is this reality. You can't buy God's favor. You can't buy God's favor. I'm not going to ask you to repeat that one. I just encourage you to say it in your heart. Say, I can't buy God's favor in your own heart. You can't buy God's favor. And that is really good news. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and the whole city is stirred up. And the first place he goes is to the temple. He doesn't go to Herod's palace, even though there's certainly injustice happening there. He doesn't go to the marketplace where certainly people are being swindled there. He goes to the temple. He goes to God's people. He says what Peter says in 1 Peter 4, it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Now, I want you to listen to what the judgment's like. Now, first, before we get to what Jesus actually does in the temple, I want to, I want to, I want to, you know, I want to bring you into this scene because we got to picture what this is like, friends. First thing to know is that the temple we're talking about is not a church building. It's not like Jesus walked into a, a church building. What's known as the temple in this time is an outdoor complex. That's 35 acres large. Now, what that means is, so Citadel Park, a little bit further north, been to Citadel Park, you know, that's, that's 40 acres. So think about the size of Citadel Park minus about one-eighth, and you know what we're talking about. This is, where, is a massive outdoor complex. And these pilgrims would arrive in Jerusalem, probably not from the east, and there would be these temple steps you would walk up that are 214 feet wide. Now, my arm span is about five foot nine. So it would take about 35 of me. Just in, That's how wide these steps are. So these pilgrims are journeying up into the temple. It took them, and the, you think of the steps, they're going to see this massive stone wall. The wall itself took eight years to build. It's a mile in circumference. And once you walk through this stone wall, you're still outside. And you're in what they call the court of the Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, this is the only place you could gather. So you probably see a mix of a lot of Jews from Jerusalem and Galilee, but you all see some Gentiles that aren't Jews. They're all gathering here. And if, you try, if you're not a Jew and you try to go closer to the Temple Mount where they actually do the sacrifices, you could be killed. But in this court of the Gentiles, on the outside of the temple, traders would set up shop. 
Now, when you came to worship at the temple for one of these feasts, you had to bring two things. You had to bring a temple tax and you had to bring a sacrifice. Now, the temple tax was half a shekel. and It was paid by most of the adult Jews. And it could only be paid in a certain kind of currency. It was called a Tyrian shekel. You had to give them a Tyrian shekel. So any of your little Roman Bitcoin stuff, they wouldn't accept. You gotta get, you gotta get a shekel. So when you get into the, into the court of the Gentiles, you gotta trade, you gotta change your money. And you can imagine that if the, if the trading of currency is, say, one Roman Bitcoin for your five shekels, then we should go up that price for ourselves. So you gotta change out your money. If you came all the way from the north, all the way from Galilee, you probably didn't walk with your sheep the whole way or carry your lamb on your shoulder. So when you get there, you got to go buy your animal for sacrifice. That's what you do when you come to the temple. You present your the, the best offering you have to God and you sacrifice it. So you got to change out your money and you got to get your sacrifice. You got to go pay for your sacrifice. But again, you can only bring out in this court of the Gentiles. Right. Now, what we see in our text is that. When Jesus starts flipping over tables, what he's doing, he's upsetting the tables of the money changers and he's disrupting the seats of those that sold pigeons. Now, why do you say pigeon? Because back in Leviticus chapter five, what, what God told the people was, that if you can, you want to bring a perfect spotless lamb to come and sacrifice to God because he deserves your best. But I'm not going to deny you if you don't have, if you can't afford a lamb. If you can't afford a lamb, what I want you to do is get two turtle doves, two pigeons, random birds, just fly around and get two of them. And bring them, because I'm a welcoming God who accepts all people. Just come to me. Just come to me. Just bring your little pigeon. So when he jumps the, the, the seats of the, of the pigeon sellers, that's where the, the poor, the ones from outside of Jerusalem, the poor immigrants, foreigners, come into the city, and they want to try and trade out to be able to come worship God. And what Jesus does is absolutely spectacular. He can only do it if he really is the king of peace. Because sometimes the king of peace is the only one who can disrupt the peace with confusion to bring real peace, which is what he does. He comes in and verse 12 tells us Jesus entered the temple and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the table of the money, money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, he's quoting Old Testament here. When Jesus comes in the temple area, he throws out those who would make the temple a place of commerce. Those who would say, to get to God, you got to do this, 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 and this. And he said, nah, to get to my father, you got to just come. Jesus wants unhindered devotion to God that is available for everyone who wants to come. To the national, to the foreigner, to the rich, to the poor, to the young, to the old, everyone is invited. He disrupts peace to bring peace. Sometimes Jesus does that with us, doesn't he? But everything was going so well. But what were you depending on? Was it the source of peace or was it just symptomatic of true peace. I'm not going to let you set up for anything but true peace with the peace that only I can bring to you. And we can see the character of this 
good, peaceful, but disruptive God in the next verse. Look at verse 14. I love this, friends. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. When the blind come, they feel their way up the steps. They get past the massive stone wall. They try to figure out, where can I go just to, just to worship God? And they hear that, wait, Jesus of Nazareth is here? And they come to him. He heals them. Those that are paralyzed, just carry me up the steps. I just want to get as close as I possibly can. They come to Jesus. Says, you can walk and leap and praise God. When the kids who yell out in the service as if they were not even trying to be reverent. When they start dancing and singing the song they heard outside, they don't even know what that means, but they just keep repeating and repeating and repeating it. Like children do. What he receives is the praise of the children. This is the God who defends the weak and welcomes the broken. This is the God who fixes the physically wounded and the emotionally wounded. Jesus, at the end of this passage, quotes Psalm chapter 8. Which if you go back and read Psalm chapter 8, the first two verses say this. says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. It says, my glory is above the heavens. But if you don't think you're good enough to come and worship me, listen to this. I get praise from the nursing baby. I get praise from the child who's running up and down the aisle. I welcome anybody who wants to come to me. I don't turn you away. This is our God, whose strength is established by the the mouth of babies and infants, who stills all those who would silence those who want to worship him. God is on high, but he looks low. You can't buy God's favor. You can't purchase God's favor. Listen, some of you came in here today limping. Maybe the week was hard and you sinned more than you planned when you left last week. Maybe you came in here not wanting to sing songs because you didn't feel worthy enough to sing. You don't want to take communion because you haven't performed well enough this week. You're limping. Maybe you came in here limping because... The week was hard because you experienced significant loss. 
You lost a close friend. You lost identity. You lost security. You feel vulnerable and hurt. Maybe you're limping in because the week was hard because you came face to face with your own frailty. You got sick or you're still sick. You didn't achieve something you set out to do. You weren't as strong as you thought you should be. You know what Jesus says to all of us that limp to him? He says this. He says, if you're hungry, come. If you're thirsty, come. If you're hurting, come. If you're broken, come. If you're guilty, come. If you're ashamed, come. Come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And you labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. That's Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. He says, come. Just come to me. Just come to me. I'm the one you're waiting for. Just come to me. You can't buy God's favor. It's freely yours as a gift. Now, we're about to take communion. And I want to just point out one aspect of this passage, I think, is one that gives me one of the most hope, one piece of hope. You know, Jesus, when he walks in the temple, starts disrupting stuff. He calls out to those people, both the buyers and the sellers. That's interesting. He says... You've made this my house of prayer. You've made it a den of robbers. A den of robbers. A den of robbers. You've made it a hideout for criminals. That's what you've done in my place of worship. But I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't give up on those robbers. Because in less than a week's time, He's going to surrender himself. And he's going to be led out to a mount. And he's going to be crucified as a robber for all those who sinned against them. And while he's on that cross between two thieves, he's going to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's going to turn to one of those robbers. He's going to say, today, you just turn to me. Today, you will be with me, robber, in paradise. See, we serve a a king of peace, who is the promised son of David, who is our true Hope. I don't know exactly what you're waiting for today, but I got an idea. And if it's 
Similarly, what I'm waiting for, we need to hear today, is that the answer we are waiting for is Hosanna to the son of David. He's coming, friends. He's going to make everything right. As we take communion today, let's remember that Jesus is the one who satisfies us. That we commemorate his death until he comes again. And he is coming. He's going to set everything right. Why don't you bow your head with me and pray. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. Save us, Lord, we pray. You know exactly where every heart is right now in this room. You know exactly what we need right now. And God, I pray, I thank you, Lord, that Jesus is the king who rides humbly in on a donkey, who, who heals the lame and the blind, and who welcomes any child who wants to call on him. I pray for my friends, you would help us to hope in you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hosanna to the Son of David. Pray this in Jesus' name.